Welcome to episode number nine of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for August 18th, 2016. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Uh, Just drinking some Surge here because the 90s are apparently back as Pokemon is crazy. Everyone's crazy about Pokemon again and and Surge. And And the 80s are back with Clear Pepsi, right? Crystal Pepsi, yeah. You know, I had that the other day, and uh, I've never had anything like that, like any clear, you know, thing that's supposed yeah. to be like cola. Dude, it was a mind fuck. Like, I I, yeah. I I, almost had to close my eyes as I was drinking it, and just, I'm like, okay, tell yourself this is Pepsi, and then it's like, okay, I can taste it, and I open my eyes, and I see that it's clear, and I'm like, whoa, man, mind is blown. Yeah, I, I tried it, too. It was, it was all right. I'd say I liked it more than regular Pepsi, because it wasn't as intense, because regular Pepsi and Coke, I don't really care for because it, it kind of tastes like battery acid, <laughs> you know, because it just burns as it goes down, and I'm not really a fan of that. So, I it's fucking a lot more smooth, it was smoother. I fucking hate so. Pepsi. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Pepsi. Whenever I go to my gigs for a karaoke, uh, they only have goddamn uh, Pepsi products, and I have to drink because I like diet drinks. I know whatever, say whatever yeah. you want out there. I, I don't think it's that bad. Um, diet Pepsi is one of the worst uh, things ever created. <laughs> well, I heard, I heard, uh, Crystal Pepsi sort of tastes like that. But what would you say? Would you say it does? Or? No, it's a lot sweeter. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can. You know, as someone who's drank diet uh, beverages for so long, I-, I can taste I can taste the fucking difference between aspartame and and, and high fructose corn syrup and and cane sugar. I I can decipher the differences yeah. between all of that. And uh, Coke Zero is my diet beverage of choice because Coke Zero to me tastes almost just like real Coke, except for it's not as sweet and it's zero I, calories. I, I, yeah, some people were saying Coke Zero was created just for the dudes. You know, <laughs> it was like guys didn't want to be like drinking Diet Coke because you know it's a, considered some. To some people, it's considered you know a, a drink for girls. So well, you know, it was like Coke Zero for for the guys. Or, but well, really, when di- I worked at the movie theater, people were just ordered people you know both genders or whatever you know were going for Coke Zero, so. Over Diet Coke. Diet Coke, Coke is gross for- too. I feel like, I mean, I feel like whatever's are uh, like you know aspartame is an artificial sweetener choice. I feel like whatever they it gives me a fucking headache. So oh, that's does why it? I don't, I don't drink diet products. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> I've probably built up some kind of weird tolerance to it at this point. But I just feel like Coke Zero is sweeter because they just probably upped the amount of chemicals that they put in yeah. there. Uh, I, don't even, I don't really like Coke, so, you know, I just, yeah. So what do you drink, then? <laughs> I like Mellow Yellow. Oh, I yeah, like my ice, man. I like iced tea. Yep. A sweet iced tea, and uh, the Surge isn't too bad because it actually has, like, a tinge of orange juice in it, which is interesting. Um, so it's kind of like Mountain Dew, but with, like, a little bit of orange oh, cool. in there. Um so I don't mind the Surge, and I remember liking Vault when they still had it, and I don't mind Mountain Dew, but I'm more of a fan of like Mountain Dew Whiteout instead of like just regular Mountain Dew, because it's like a citrus sort of thing, and that's kind of weird too. Kind of blows your mind because it's like white. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, 
I just so yeah, I don't mind stuff like that. And uh, Dr Pepper, if I'm desperate and there's yeah. nothing else, I can I can drink, but like not really the biggest fan. So you know but. what, Bever- like, you know, soda I fucking cannot stand is root beer. I don't know how people drink that shit. I I like A W root beer, but Vargs and other stuff like that, I can see why you have a problem with that because A W is just smoother. It doesn't have as much of a of an aftertaste. No, you know what the sh- what's the shit that A and W makes is their cream soda. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I love cream soda. Do not like the uh, root beer. Whatever root it comes from, it t- it's like Worcestershire sauce. It's a hard word for me to say. It's like one of those weird flavors that you either like or you don't. Yeah. So speaking of things, you know, that are weird. So let's get into. This uh, case. Yeah, sorry. By the way, it's uh, we're a little late. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I bear the burden on, on my shoulders probably worse than Mike does because he's so involved with making videos all the time. But uh, yeah. every day I'm like, oh, I know they're wanting another episode, and I've just I've had so much going on. Uh, this time it's my fault. I will take the blame. Mike was totally ready, but uh, I just finished episode 17 on my channel, The Overstimulation Station, where I'm comparing video game sequels of the retro days, like are sequels always better? And I came to the conclusion that they are. Um, so if you like video games or anything like that, you should over, head over to my channel and check out the newest video. I put a lot of work into it. it takes me goddamn one month to make one episode but uh yeah yeah anyway um yeah this this segment's called the whackers and uh i picked this one this time around we're do we're trying out it's like a wacky sitcom oh (laughs) it's wacky (laughs) all right (laughs) hold hold on a second mike hold on it's wacky oh wrong end it's wacky (laughs) all right <laughs> I'm bringing that thing out whenever. I, oh yeah, that's supposed to be the noise for whenever a UFO skeptic comes in. That's right. Yeah, or, or any type of skeptic. True. Yeah, yeah. So I will use it for that too. <laughs> so yeah, I picked this one uh, when I saw it. I instantly was like, "Holy shit! This is this is bizarre." And it, it almost it is. in some it weird is. way it almost ties into the um, the uh, what was her name? Uh, it's escaping right now. Uh, Cindy James. Cindy James. Yes, the scared to death segment we did. This is this is almost like the opposite of that because this this uh, couple has, was harassed mysteriously, but unlike Cindy James, this was uh, for all intents and purposes a credible real threat, but remains to this day or to the day of that segment uh, unsolved. No, it, yeah, it's still unsolved. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the meat of this is uh, Dorothy and Bill Wacker. They lived in a small town in Ohio for most of the 48 years that they were married. And, and let me just say real quick, everyone, just, just give them a round of applause for uh, Dorothy and Bill here. Staying married for 48 years. Good job, guys. I can barely hold down a girlfriend. Um, Dealing with that last name, too. I mean. <laughs> yeah. You, my, your last name is what? Whacker? <laughs> you want me to be Miss Whacker for the rest of my life? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's a good name. That was my, uh, I guess, a Hank Hill impression. Whatever. Uh, Anyway, this whole uh, campaign of terror for them started January 16th of 1985. Well, 84 is when it first started, but this is when they kind of begin, they pick up the story. Um, The Whackers came home and their home was ransacked. This was the third incident so far, thus far, and it began in 1984, and it continues to this day, uh, you know, in the episode, th- that day of the episode in the 90s. Um, after 10 years have gone by of harassment, the Whackers still wonder who and why. 
So uh, they interview them, the the couple, and they're they're a nice elderly couple, a couple that you would typically you know see anywhere in the USA. They're they're older and they seem very you know unassuming and harmless, and and you feel bad for them that like who the fuck would harass like that's like harassing like a group of babies, you know? It's like they're so. I mean, I'm not saying old people are like completely like defenseless or anything like that but i mean like dude it's like come on man they're old it's like that's kind of one of the unspoken rules you, you know you don't fuck with old people and you don't fuck with little babies you know yeah it's it's just it is a very bizarre case because it just seems like i don't even know what the motivation is here it just seems like the guy or or gal or guys or guys and gals who are harassing you know this couple just do it for kicks. Yeah, I mean that's how they get their jollies. So the guy they're interviewing the couple, and uh, you know the husband saying, "Why should I move? Why should we move? Why should we be forced out by a kook? I don't want to do it. I won't do it. I'll stay. I'll stay here and I'll protect her." And again, let's just get a aww from the audience. What a, what a guy! That's what you call a real man. We don't have we don't have men like that anymore. No, we probably do. I'm just joking. I'm <laughs> So, um, anyway, July of 1985, six months after that ransacking incident, um, Dorothy was at home recovering from heart surgery when a guy came up knocking at the door wanting to use her phone. And, you know, like I said, these, this is an unassuming old couple. They were trusting, you know, in her words, they're trusting and they would help people out without thinking twice. The guy, this guy looks unassuming too. Like the guy they have here, he looks like just a regular you know, good-looking guy. You know, doesn't look like he's up to no, he's up to no good or anything like that. Which is actually a lot of people on this on the Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know if it's just the reenactments, like the actors that they get. You yeah. know, because like, oh, you got to look good on television, so they happen to choose people who. No, are... they they showed the the artwork. You know, the the police sketch, and it looked pretty similar. True. So. See, that's the thing that to, people forget. That like. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news about, like, racial, you know, racially motivated crimes and all that. But, you know, the black people are only a small percentage of the population. Most of the crime, by and large, is committed by white people. Because, <laughs> you know, we're like, you know, 70, 80-something percent of the population. So, um, a lot of this kind of shit that goes down, you know, in your day-to-day is, 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 is white people doing depends, these crimes. It depends on where you live. Yeah, well, that's, that's the true. Percentages depend on where you live, really. This is Middle America, though. This is, uh, this, I believe, this yeah. was in Ohio. So you know, they're, they're, yeah. So Stark County, yeah, a small town in Stark County, Ohio. Yeah, we have a Stark County uh, over here in, uh, in Jacksonville. But that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> so anyway, a guy can't knock in. He wanted to use the phone, and uh, she let him use the phone. Uh, as he was ta- uh, he was talking on the phone, but she didn't pay any attention. She went to the kitchen and resumed her tasks, and she was like, "Well, you know, uh, when people talk on the phone, I don't eavesdrop. I don't, I don't listen. You know, I don't, I don't bother them." So after he got off the phone, he said, "Thanks very much." And so she assumed he left. Um, didn't even walk him out to the door to make sure he left. Now, see this, this, uh, this lady definitely grew up in a different time and place than me when and how I was yeah. raised. Uh, I would be like, "Why the hell are you still here?" Like, or I'd be like, "Hey, are you done with the phone?" Yeah, yeah. No. Like you walk him out as he's a fucking stranger. You don't just—that's crazy that you would just like go back to your chores with your back turned and you know you, these people were very trusting. Like I said, uh, 
from another time and place. I mean, here in Canada, it's more or less like that, uh, more of that kind of lighthearted, trusting nature. But in the U.S., man, we are a paranoid group of fucks down here. <laughs> we don't trust well, anybody. Stuff like this, I can see why. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, maybe it's because shows like this, you know, put that fear in us in the news, our news media and shit. You know, that's probably where a lot of the fear comes from. Yeah. Fear mongering. Um, so he, she assumed he left, but to her surprise, he snuck up behind her, hit her. She wakes up bound and gagged. She woke woke up tied, uh, you know, lying on the floor. And she was able to get the neighbors to hear her. Then her husband, Bill, returned home to find his house swarming with police. Dorothy was not seriously injured, uh, but some personal possessions were missing, including a revolver, an antique watch, a movie camera, and a radio scanner. And the creepiest, tastiest part of this segment is in the dining room, the assailant left a bizarre message scrawled on the wall in crayon, which said, cheaper, but will do. That still creeps me out. That, that really just makes my blood curdle. Because I'm just like, I don't get it. It's just very, it's just so bizarre and strange. Cheaper, like, but will do. Fuck was, what the fuck does that mean? I mean, I mean, that almost sounds like something you say to like a, like a really low-end prostitute or something that somebody yeah. gets for you or something like, yeah, she's cheaper, but she'll do. Yeah. I mean, was he talking about the merchandise he took from the house? I mean, who knows? But that doesn't make sense because you find out later that all these objects were eventually returned. So, yeah. And that is indeed creepy. So, Bill says uh, about four months after Dorothy was assaulted, as you were saying, the revolver turned up on the porch, the -hmm. revolver that was stolen. Uh, And then one by one, the items all eventually appeared again. And he says, quote, can't I can't figure out why it was brought back. If someone steals something, if it was of no use to them, they would sell it to somebody else, which is totally true. I mean, if I yeah. was to break into your house and steal your shitty Xbox 360 that doesn't work, I wouldn't give it back to you. Well, I would, it does work now. Oh, but, it does work yeah. now? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I would, I'd go and pawn it or I'd put it on Craigslist. Or, well, I mean, they don't have Craigslist back then, but they sure as shit had pawn yeah. shops, you know? I mean, yeah. You wouldn't give it back to the person, you know. That's uh, even that's... the police chief. He was just befuddled, and I could see why because he was in, he was interviewed, and he's like, "This doesn't happen. Like this is very rare that any of these items are given back to the person who had them stolen. You know, who these items were stolen from. This is very bizarre. It, it's it is one of those things. Like this is just so strange. It's like." And, and as soon as he said those words, Unsolved Mysteries ears perked up and said, What? Strange? Bizarre? Unsolved, you say? We'll cover it. <laughs> I feel like this is a segment that you could only see on Unsolved Mysteries and why this was such yeah. a great show. Because, dude, I mean, you, you got your ghost hunters and your sightings and stuff, but they would have never covered a segment like this. And this is the kind oh. of shit that just rounded out the show so completely and made it the great show that it is, is that... You know, they're doing segments like this to where it's like, you can't file this under any other thing except for just fucking weird. And and there's really, you know, no show where you can see a UFO, a a Bigfoot, a ghost, a lost love reuniting, and then this shit all in one episode. Yeah, exactly. 
So, uh, meanwhile, uh, the assailant launched a new pattern of harassment, but this time it was over the phone. So the dude started calling, and uh, Dorothy was saying that sometimes she would answer, and it would just he would just be breathing really deep into the phone, which is like, god damn, that, that is classic creepiness right there. That's just straight out of a horror film. It's straight out of When a Stranger Calls. You know, half expected to hear, like, some police officer show up later. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then other times he'd say stuff like, I'll knock you in the head and lay you out. And it made her very angry and scared. And again, it's almost like that scene from Happy Gilmore where in where uh, his mom's in the nursing home and, like, the yeah. <laughs> the guy's just, like, treating yeah. the old people like shit. And he's like, you know, I'll break your bones, granny. And it's like, oh, why are you being mean to the grandma, you know? How can you do that? Yeah, Ben Stiller's, uh, you know, his uh, character in that uh, is pretty great. That's so funny. <laughs> ben Stiller either plays a fucking psycho or he plays the uh, awkward, nerdy guy. Like, he only has, yeah. like, those two ranges. So, uh, the, the, now the, uh, they have a daughter, and they're interviewing the daughter, and the daughter was even saying they changed their number several times, but the guy still gets the number, and she has no clue how. This is before the internet, so yeah. that is very puzzling. It's like, how did he... He must know somebody who... Knows how to find phone numbers, I guess. <laughs> Just the amount of effort that would be put into that alone. I mean, that that's that's got to be a part-time job of yours to harass these people. Like, you got to, like, clock in, you know, hours, like, finding this information. This and is also the time when phone books were around. So maybe they, they didn't change their last name. So they just changed their phone number. Yeah. I, I mean, I would think about temporarily changing my last name in the phone book i know that caused problems but if i'm being harassed on the phone maybe i'd consider doing that if that's something i can do i don't know maybe the phone company or whatever would be like you can't do that <laughs> well i mean i know you can always do the unlisted thing but i mean yeah. it didn't say that they did that it didn't say that they yeah had their number removed and you know whatever so nowadays I mean, you could you could maybe use caller id and find who's calling you and then block the number so then oh yeah so like so many of these cases would not be unsolved mysteries if they all happened in nowadays times it'd be like and then they looked at the assailant's facebook and found out that he was at the movies watching batman versus superman and arrested him on the spot case closed you know <laughs> The the assailant checked in at a local McDonald's uh, on his Twitter account and was arrested instantly. <laughs> yeah, these would not be yeah. unsolved. That's why, again, that's why I don't want them to remake this show. I don't want new segments. I just I just love watching the reruns. Uh, I'd be okay with new segments for certain things, like the unexplained stuff. That's why I think if you brought back sightings, that would probably be interesting, or unsolved mysteries for other sort of cases. Um, there's probably cases that are like this that are still unsolved even with all the technology and all the advances that we've had in that field i would not be surprised yeah uh, i mean it's really just a matter of if you don't want to be caught you won't be caught i mean it, it's it's a matter of of leaving as little of a uh digital or physical fingerprint or footprint yeah. as possible so yeah. i mean it, it is possible, believe it or not, people, it is possible to not be on social media and not be able to be found if you don't want to be found. Yeah. So going back to the to the segment, uh, the harassment escalates 
and uh, you know, most of the time that would happen at dark at night. It seems like it. Right. They'd be watching TV. They'd be reading, and then someone would bang on their door five or six times. Um, one time when it happened, um, the Bill got his gun and he went outside. Never saw a thing. Never heard a thing. Never heard a car. Never heard a noise whatsoever. They felt at that point they probably needed to invest in some kind of security. And what do they do? They get a light for their front porch. Now, granted, they're elderly. They've got a, they've got a gun. They feel like, okay, well, if I just install a light, you know, this will this will make it at least to where maybe they'll be deterred from banging on the door and all that because they might be seen. Not too long after that, though, they got a note on their front porch, and the note said, your lights are a laugh. Periodically, other notes started to show it's, up. It's a really creepy troll. Yeah. It's like, this is trolling before the internet. Yeah. And, I, and I have to say, this is probably worse than trolling on the internet, because I can block the trolls on the internet. Right. This People do this and leave creepy notes and break into your house and shit i mean it's like i can't i don't know what i could do unless i know who this person is so yeah it even it it's crazy too because these uh they're written in crayon it looks like a kid wrote them and they're not they're misspelled you know lights is spelled with a z at the end instead of an s and all the the it's not the first time all these different notes start appearing after that Right, it said like one said, "You are scum. I'm going to get you again." Why are you calling the old people names, man? Why? That's so yeah. mean, you know. Like, what the fuck? Why? These are the night. Like, like, what a. It's like, dude. What did they ever do to you? It's like, dude, get a fucking hobby, man. Like, seriously. And no fingerprints on this stuff ever turned up. In the evidence that was submitted, there was no fingerprints. With the investigation stalled, they were at the mercy of their unknown enemy. And uh, on October 27, 1993, he struck again when Dorothy was out in her backyard. Uh, Dorothy was raced to the hospital with skull lacerations, and no, of course, no one saw anything. There was no spec suspects, no clues, and at that point, the lead detective presented Dorothy with an unthinkable scenario. He asked... Do you think your husband could have been the one to do all this? To which she replied, no way. And so then, then they show the husband the segment, and he's saying, uh, quote, he said that we got to explore all, all possibilities, and she said no. You know, why, why should I do something like this after being married for 48 years? Exactly. And he just came off so credible. It's like, dude, the, you're looking in the wrong direction. The husband didn't do it. Like, stop whacking the whacker. <laughs> what did they do to you? <laughs> You have the stupidest last name I ever heard. <laughs> Which would be a good enough reason for someone to troll someone on the internet nowadays. I don't like your name. So then then the Whackers took matters into their own hands and they staked out their own house. Uh, Bill, the husband, was held up in a trailer parked in the driveway. And then across the street, their son-in-laws watched from a van... Uh, one of the son-in-law's wives, Kathy, was inside with the uh, with Dorothy, the wife, and uh, for almost four hours they waited. Then at around 10.30, they decided to call it a night. And as soon as they did that, outside they heard bump, bump, bump. 
and inevitably the intruder had found a blind spot in the Wacker's stakeout. There was a note on the porch and it said, get the message, and it was attached to a rock. Now, that's crazy to me. That, that yeah. reminds me so much of the uh, Cynthia James case because it's literally like as soon as the stakeout stopped, the, atta uh, the another attack happened, which almost to me lends credibility to Cynthia James's story because it's like, well, you know, to quote the parents, well, surely they're, they're going to know if you're there referring to the police. And that's kind of how yeah. I view this. It's like, well, surely yeah. the guy's going to know that, you know. And whoever's doing this must be fairly intelligent because they were able to identify the blind spot and find out where it was and a fairly quick amount of time too so the they obviously know what they're doing and this makes me think that maybe the the person that's harassing the whackers has harassed other people with the same sort of stuff sociopaths the man they they are all over this show uh just people who, to to which there is no rhyme or reason to why they yeah. do what they do. I thought it was interesting, too, is that one of the investigators was saying it seems like he's the harasser is writing with his opposite hand. Uh, so if he's right-handed, he's writing with his left. Or if he's left-handed, he's writing with his right. And that's why everything, in a way, to make it so they can't identify him by his handwriting. Yeah, yeah, which I've thought about that before myself. I was like, man, if I was to ever, like, write someone a threatening letter, I'd do it with my left hand, so... I, not saying I would ever write a threatening letter, but I thought if I did, that's one way I would do it. Um, the Whackers remain as mystified today as when their troubles first began, and they believe the guy who first assaulted Dorothy is the main suspect in this case, but that's as much information as they give you in this segment. I mean... As far as we know, it still remained to happen. I suspect yeah. I suspect they are either not around anymore because they were pretty old yeah, in this segment. Yeah, they both passed away. Bill died in 1999. Uh, it is unknown if harassment continued after his death, and Dorothy died on July 22nd, 2010, at oh, the damn. age of three. So they're both uh, no longer with us. So oh. that's really too bad. Is that it seems like to me that. They still didn't find any justice for it, and as far as we know, they could have been continuously harassed until they passed away, and that's just messed up. That, that, that sucks. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, obviously they're not being harassed anymore, so... Yeah, so they were thinking about uh, some of the police investigators. They were thinking that maybe it's possible a neighbor or a friend or a family member is the cause, given the degree of the knowledge of the whackers that they have. But why would anybody in their family or why would a friend of theirs do this to them? Well, the main thought was that they wanted them to leave that house for, for whatever reason. That was the yeah. main that was the main kind of theory is that they wanted them to leave. Wonder Who knows why? why? So, I mean, that that I don't like old people. It's like, I don't like old people. <laughs> you old people, get out of my neighborhood. Old people with your shitty candy. <laughs> your weird routines. So that's that segment. Uh, now we're moving on, because uh, we're, we're jamming in four segments this time. We're trying to do two short ones, two long ones. Now we're moving into a long one, a, a, a segment that I've personally wanted to talk about for a long time, because I, I just... 
uh, I get chills. I was explaining the story to someone the uh, the other night, and I got chills even explaining the story. But then again, I get chills anytime I talk about UFOs. Um, this on the uh, Ultimate Collection box set, you can find this segment, and it is called the UFO Odyssey. It's also on just the UFOs box set as well. Yes. So. Uh, these are the Withville, Virginia uh, UFO sightings. Um, now, at the beginning of the segment, they go into all the former segments of uh, UFOs before they go into this one, which is pretty cool. They they kind of chronicle all the uh, mm-hmm. all the stuff that happened. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> I'm reading my notes here, and it says, uh, "Country music playing, Hick Town." <laughs> <laughs> so that's, ob- <laughs> that's obviously the first impressions I got. But no, it starts off with like this country music, this slide guitar. It's like, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, country music, WYVE, the voice of Withville, uh, was the radio station that Danny Gordon was, uh, you know, DJ of or whatever. Um, on October 7th, 1987, Danny checked in with the county sheriff Um they would, uh, you know, oftentimes he would call the sheriff for puff pieces. You know, one time uh, a chicken, five chickens were shot with only two bullets by one of the officers, and that story ran as kind of a ha-ha piece. So uh, he was looking for another one of, you know, those things, and the uh, sheriff mentioned that uh, uh, three sheriffs had, uh, sheriff deputies complained that they had seen a UFO. So Danny, you know, using this as one of his puff pieces, went on the radio and reported it. Uh, it surprisingly to him sparked a lot of interest, and then calls started to pour in. So many calls, in fact, that he had to set up, set up a special chunk of time for people to call in about their UFO encounters and, and sightings. Um, and then they had some excerpts based on uh, verbatim transcripts from the calls, and it was stuff like, "It was a huge, long object with no sound. Oh, it looked like an egg shape. All we saw was flashing lights." And uh. Uh, then, then they would have Danny Gordon come back and talk. I just want to say, I like his voice, man. You can definitely tell he's a radio guy because anytime he'd come in, he almost had that kind of. Uh, it, it was more of a southern tint, but he almost had that like rich, robust kind of voice that Robert Stack almost has. It was, it was a real, it was a nice voice to listen to. I kind of felt that about his when he would speak. Um, I guess Mike is neither here nor there on that. <laughs> no, not really. I don't have much to say. I'm just trying not to interrupt you. So, yeah. yeah, we're trying to improve this shit, people. We, we <laughs> This is all for you. Um, so he felt that these calls about the UFOs um, were military planes from uh, the Langley Air Force Base that was nearby. Then... Um, Mary Jane Williamson, who was one of the uh, witnesses that they had on the segment that they were interviewing, uh, she said, quote, uh, they said it was planes refueling. I just wanted to say that uh, this lady, Mary Jane Williamson, uh, was, in my notes, it says, hot for an old lady. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was very good looking for her. She looked like she was, like, maybe in her 60s. I'm like, damn, I hope my wife looks that good into her old age. Anyway, um... Uh, so she said they were planes refueling is, is what they told her. So Danny said he called the Pentagon and asked about the refueling. And the Pentagon said, quote, if someone's refueling at under 13,000 feet, someone's butts in a sling. At the same time, he asked, you know, well, if it's military, I'll back off the story, you know, because I'm a patriot. And time and time again, they said, we're not doing it. It's not us. We haven't been doing it. 
So on October 22nd, two weeks after the original report, Danny and his friend Roger Hall brought along a 35 millimeter still camera as well as a video camera, and they headed. Uh, they they went out basically searching for any kind of like UFOs in the sky. After heading home from a two-hour fruitless search, they just happened to look to the left, and they saw a strange object coming over the horizon. They pulled off to the side of the road, and the craft coming at them was very large, and it was dome-shaped. It had no wings, and it had a strobe putting out multiple colored lights on the, uh, on the side of the craft. It was about 1,000 feet away and 1,000 feet high. Uh, it was about two football fields in diameter, which is fucking massive. Um his friend it's like uh, an independence day mothership yeah i mean d- yeah. dude this that's that's gigantic and uh his friend roger hall said uh three huge picture windows in the uh were in the back and it looked like they were lit from the inside out um as they were watching the craft a red ball came out from the left side of uh their line of sight and it looked almost as if it docked inside the mother mother mothership um, it, he, according to Danny, it said it looked like you were watching a computer game happening right in front of you, which I thought was kind of a appropriate illustration, seeing as in the '90s, that's when those computer games really started coming out. And and also the reenactment, it was a CGI, early CGI sort of effect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that kind of added to it too. So it's like when you're watching the reenactment, it's like you're watching a computer game. That's very anyway. true. So the next night, they went, they, well, okay, so after the sighting happened, um, they were so awestruck by what they had saw, they realized that no pictures, and they knew that they blew it because, you know, how, how, how is anyone going to believe that they saw this stuff by not taking any pictures? So the next night, they went out, and they did take photographs, and the, I think it's kind of funny how the segment just kind of, like, bristles over that detail. It's like, the next night, they went out, and they did take photographs of the thing, and then they, like, kind of went on to something, and it's like, whoa, 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 they just went out the next night and happened to see the very same thing again? I mean, jeez, yeah. okay, you know, that that's that's luck. But then again, there were a lot of sightings in Withville at that particular time, so... With the, still, with the film still undeveloped, uh, Danny held a press conference and called it for the following day of uh, October 23rd, 1987. The night before the press conference, Danny received a phone call from a person who wouldn't identify themselves, and they said the CIA and FBI were very interested in the Withville UFOs. Danny said, quote, I started to wonder what I had gotten myself into, and my, my wife was urging me to back off. He also received anonymous phone calls saying he need to he needed to leave it alone because it's not his place messing in matters of defense. After the press conference, he discovered his house had been broken into. Danny was convinced that someone was looking for the photographs. When he developed the pictures, it only revealed vague images of uh, streaks of light in the sky. Six weeks later, on December 2nd, they were leaving a local mall. And in the segment, I thought it was really cool because they have, like, a school bus full of children who are, like, freaking out. Everyone's making a lot of ruckus, you know. And then they, yeah. they show the sky. And, like, in this mall in the parking lot, there's this thing uh-huh. in the sky, uh, these, th- this what appeared to be one big light. Uh, but soon he saw there was actually four smaller lights. Um, as soon as the objects were photographed, because Danny started snapping pictures, they disappeared from view. When the photos came back, they showed four objects in the sky. They appeared to change shape and color within one click of the camera. They went from a ball shape to an egg shape to a saucer-like shape to a teardrop shape. Um, 
by the end of the December sighting, uh, the, uh, there was more than 1,500 sightings that had been reported in Whitfield County alone. Uh, one of the first occur occurred near Interstate 81. Eyewitnesses said the craft resembled a brilliantly lit carousel. And they actually kind of have an artist rendition in the segment of what this looked like. And if you can just imagine driving down the highway and you see this big fucking object in the sky that's like lit like a carousel and like yeah. oh man that's i can just uh it'd be so scary <laughs> like <laughs> it'd be cool but it'd still be scary i haven't decided if it would be cool or not yet i can't figure out if i would like that or not i think for me i think it would because i i've been obsessed with unexplained since a young age so since i was a kid i was reading like reader's digest mysteries and unexplained book when i was five or six or seven or eight years old. So I was reading an adult, a book for adults yeah. when I was young. So I, I've, I, that's always been something that I've been really interested in my whole life. So if I saw it, then it would be kind of, it would be validation that, oh, you know, this is real. It isn't just stories from people and stuff that I've seen on TV and stuff that I've read. I mean, my parents would say things like, like this when I'd read the unexplained book, she'd be like, you know, they'd be like, you know, it's just a book. You can't believe everything you read. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it would be kind of nice to be validated. But at the same time, it would also be terrifying because then then it would no longer be a myth. It would no longer be something that I read. Uh, no longer some interesting potential factoid. And, and it would be the truth. You know, it would be like, okay this is real but you then know, you have to deal with kind of the bent waters what happened in the bent water segment last week where the guy yeah. was saying you know we went out you know and i was hoping that there wouldn't be any evidence that there was a craft out in the yeah. woods that way i could just write it off as something that uh -huh. uh, was just made up you know so yeah. you have that that could be another possibility too of seeing some, but see he saw a landed craft which i imagine might be more disturbing than just seeing yeah. something in the sky where you can just say well maybe it was this or maybe it was that yeah yeah. So um, then they start. Then in this segment, they shift to like showing the actual or like interviewing the actual uh, residents of Withville who sighted uh, these objects in their either in their backyards or on their property. Uh, Patricia Aker had ten sightings eight miles north of Withville. Uh, she said they looked like a cross between a helicopter and an airplane. And per usual, there was no noise, which, as we know now on the podcast, UFOs don't make noise. Um, they also interviewed Rita M Marie Voss, um, who just looked ve just straight out of the eighties. Um, just the big frame glasses, the perm. Uh, she was great. There's so many people like that in this show when you're uh, watching oh, yeah. the reruns, which it, I, I love. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty bad though. Some of them with the big giant glasses and the big hair. And when I was watching some of the segments of my mom, even my mom is like, "Oh God, that's just <laughs> awful." <laughs> Yeah, some of these people I'm looking at, I'm thinking, man, if they like straighten their hair and got a few tattoos and, uh, you know, got a little, you know, piercing, I was like, man, they'd, they'd be kind of hot, you know, <laughs> but with the curled up permed hair and the big ass glasses and the grandma clothes, it's like they look like a totally different person. It's just funny yeah. to me. Um, so... Um, uh, Rita, yeah, Marie, Rita Marie Voss said, said she saw a UFO half a mile from her house coming over a ridge, and it looked like, a, again, like a carousel. Um, and and they, again, they had an artist rendition. Just think of this. this uh, I'm guessing in Washington they have this kind of stuff, but they don't have it in Florida. It's like this big hill, grassy hill with all these almost like looked like uh, pine trees of some kind, some yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. coniferous tree. 
and mm-hmm. uh, just this this UFO cresting over this ridge, and, and uh, the artist rendition was very uh, terrifying as well. Yeah, it was. It was. Just imagine um, that in the back of your fucking. Kind of. I I already was. I was putting that in my head. You know, just because I I'm around all kinds of trees like that. Do they have so, ridges and stuff out out there where you live? Like stuff like well, that. Well, well, I, I mean, farther out. You know, not exactly where I'm at right now but you know yeah definitely pacific northwest there's a lot of stuff like that um i mean you're already having to deal with bigfoot you know yeah if you could see though see them can you imagine that can you imagine the same day see bigfoot and then a ufo like that would totally just i would probably end my life at that point (laughs) (laughs) i would know that there's just no way i'm gonna win against this war you see a ufo and then bigfoot comes out of the ufo (laughs) (laughs) and then at that same point your house is like haunted you know windows and shit starts opening closing so um uh then again the uh mary jane williamson the uh, hot old lady said um the uh, sighting occurred over her house she said it was white lights semi-circular white lights she said it was huge it was just huge she said you could never see an outline of a craft and, but she knows it wasn't the planet Venus. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything like that. Um, which again was some of the explanations that people gave. Um, that's our skeptic whistle. Uh, yeah. uh, some uh, she was some kind of craft that was moving over her house that was huge. So uh, Danny Gordon um, eventually talked to the spokesman of defense from the Pentagon. This is another quote I found great from the segment. And the spokesman from the Pentagon who deals in all the branches of the military said, quote, we do not deny UFOs exist. We confirm that they do exist. What we deny is that they pose any threat to the populace of Wythe County. And then Danny asked, well, how do you know this? And the guy responded, I can't tell you, but that's why we're not sending convoys of aircraft down there to protect Wythe County. So, so maybe that UFO in Texas, maybe that posed some sort of threat because there was like 23 helicopters that showed up. It's so, like they're doing some kind of like weird field experiment and they're just letting them run amok and sometimes they'll get yeah. out of control and they have to like wrangle it back in or some shit. Like the Keystone Cops or something. When you said, like, some weird experiment, they got to wrangle them back in, that just kind of made me chuckle. Not at the fact that it's not really funny that the military has to deal with this, but, I mean, could you just imagine, like, the Benny Hill music or something? (laughs) (laughs) They're, like, chasing the little green men through, like, this hallway of doors, and they all, like, Scooby-Doo style. They're going in and out on different doors and shit. And they get the UFO, and then they have, dang it, get back over here. <laughs> Jeez. UFO is just darting across the sky, and the planes are trying to catch it, and trying to corral it or whatever, try to get it to go somewhere else. <sighs> so, so, yeah, I mean, but, like, on a serious note, though, it's like, that is just so... So, basically, if we're to believe this Danny guy... The government knows about UFOs, and they know enough to know that they pose no threat. That's why you don't, after every UFO sighting, you don't see, like, as he said, convoys of military aircraft chasing these things down, trying to protect people. It, mm-hmm. It's like they know what's going on. It's like a controlled kind of thing. And, yeah. and that, to me, is just, that means one of two things. 
we have either commandeered alien technology and these sightings are exactly what Danny first thought they were, a mil military aircraft being tested out of Langley Air Force Base in Virginia, but these military aircrafts are alien technology and these are actually yeah. human uh, government officials operating uh -huh. these crafts. Or B, we, we've d made some kind of uh, a relationship with these uh, beings from, uh, you know, elsewhere and we trust them enough to allow them to run amok in our skies. You know, it could only mean one of those two things, you know, like men in black. Cause that's the whole sort of thing in men in black. They made like a deal with these aliens and they all know that aliens are real and, you know, UFOs are a real thing, but they don't tell the government, they don't tell, they keep it secret because of the whole thing about how people might react. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing. I mean, I think we could be able to handle it better now than back in the 40s, but I don't know. With with the way people are nowadays, I don't know. But I think a lot of religions would crumble. Yeah. Because... because uh, or they'd go in and say, oh, they're fallen angels or whatever. Like, I've heard an argument for that. Yeah, because <laughs> UFOs and people from other planets, that kind of flies in the face of most religions, you know? Yeah. It doesn't because I know growing up as a Southern Baptist, I, their their thing was always, well, the Bible never specified that we were the only life that God created, so it yeah. is possible that there was. A, but see, again, it's like the Bible takes place on Earth; it doesn't take place yeah. on, you know, planet Zeron. See, or the thing that scares me the most about this segment is not the UFOs; it's not the sightings of unidentified flying objects; it's the government's involvement their knowing involvement with ufos and and knows that they either aliens are real they are visiting us they're just flying around in our skies and they don't do anything about it or they're doing this uh you know test flights under our nose but then the whole thing where you get the phone calls and the saying you should need to get out of this you better not get involved you know, some bad. Yeah, that, that it, it it's the, it's like if you start meddling in this, they the government will come for you essentially. Um, what scares me the most? Like, wait a second! Like, they're they're super secretive with this UFO, this whole Widesville thing, but then it's on unsolved mysteries. I'm like, you failed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I gotta give you an F, an F scale fuck government because you just completely just <laughs> you just let it you let it. And then everybody saw it. Like, it's out there now. So if you're trying to keep it secret, I, I didn't do a very good job. But see, why Unsolved Mysteries remains more credible to me than the rest of these kind of alien shows is Unsolved Mysteries never does that kind of clickbaity kind of thing. Oh. Like, we know, stick around, you know, to find out if we discovered alien beings oh, when we're like back from the break. Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Yeah, that, that show is such a... Joke. Jesse Ventura is a whack job. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, probably what scares me the most about this segment is what I'm about to read you. Yeah. Um, so, Danny was preparing for a conference, another conference in uh, Virginia Beach, when he received an anonymous phone call from a retired military intelligence officer. Uh, the first thing he said was, uh, make sure this call was recorded. And he, Danny asked, why do you want me to tape this? And then he goes, if anything happens, I want people to know I forewarned you, he said. Uh, he said, 
He'd been investigating this thing for many, many years. He said, I saw my, my son die of leukemia. He said, because of his investigation in the UFO field, they'd hit his son and caused his son to die of leukemia. He had information that the federal government was not too happy with Danny's coverage of the UFO sightings and that he was too loud of a voice to just quiet him by just killing him. They wanted to get him in a different way. Uh, they will try to hit you in a way that they feel is practical for their purposes. It could be through skin contact chemicals. It could be on the door of your car, your steering wheel. They could come up with something, do something to your children, end quote. And Danny said, yeah. it's, it's one thing to threaten my, myself, but when you threaten my family, you're, threat, you're treading on thin water. He was also concerned because uh, and angry because he believed in free speech and he didn't want these people to stop him from going to Virginia Beach to talk about the incident. And he told the guy he was still going to go. Now, uh, they actually, Unsolved Mysteries usually never does this. Uh, whenever they have a phone recording, they, say, they, they usually reenact the phone recording based on verbatim transcripts. But on this particular segment, they play the actual recording that Danny yeah. recorded. Yeah. So you get to hear the, the man who's saying this, and, and he sounds scary. He sounds, he, he, yeah, chills. He sounds, <laughs> he sounds like, <laughs> he sounds very matter of fact. He sounds very declarative in his st statements. He, you know, and then at the end, they don't, you know, transcribe, but you can hear him saying, he goes, you know, damn it, man, you think I'm some, some, uh, you know, some loony or whatever. He's like, I'm trying to warn you. And then Dan's just like, well, thank you very much, but I'm still going. And he hangs up the phone. I wish I could find that phone call, like the whole phone call on YouTube mm -hmm. or something, because that would be, that would be really cool to listen to but um that's like real horror to me is that yeah. kind of thing yeah, yeah i mean it really fucking happened um it, it was around that same time in virginia beach that a hepatitis epidemic broke out and uh danny was saying mm -hmm. you know everyone knew you know i knew if if i had gotten hepatitis then they would have gotten to me but he came back with no problem and his children were in good shape as he says um Less than a month after the disturbing phone call, um, some people with the Richmond Gazette came to his house and they wanted to ask questions about the recent encounters. Uh, one of them interviewed Danny Gordon and the other guy went around his fucking house snapping photos of his house. I mean, first of all, I would have been like, hey, 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 hey guy, guy, uh, what, what you doing there, buddy? Uh, that's, you know, you, you want to ask before you just walk into my fucking bedroom and take pictures of stuff, but maybe he was so distracted by the reporter. That's like that guy who uh, did an article uh, for your band, right? And <laughs> he came in and just started snapping pictures and doing whatever. Yeah. He had accomplished just snapping pictures of your room. and Yeah, I mean, like, that would be like a red like, flag, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why do you need that picture, you know? Like, what are you doing? Um, so the guy said that the, the report, the supposed reporter said that they would send him a copy of the publication before it was released so he could peruse through it and, you know, give his approval. Well, when he never received it, uh, he called up the Gazette and the newspaper said, those guys are not on the payroll. They don't work here. Yeah. So he realized that he had been had and that these strangers had just been in his house and took a bunch of pictures of stuff. Uh, a few weeks later... Well, somebody from the FBI. Right. Uh, they looked like the men in black, honestly. Yeah. Um, a few weeks later, uh, he went to organize and catalog his UFO negatives, and he found that um, some of the negatives from the shopping mall incident uh, were missing. So that made him want to go and look at his pictures to see if he, if, if he wasn't seeing something that might have been in the picture, and... 
uh, he analyzed it with a friend of his, and, and they weren't really able to see why the why whoever stole it was only interested in those few particular negatives um, that were taken from his stash or whatever. Um, so at this point, you know, this guy Danny, he'd reached the end of his rope. His house had been broken into. Bogus reporters had, you know, taken pictures of his house. He was receiving phone calls at all hours of the night. Uh, his UFO negatives were stolen. And then finally the stress caught up with him. Uh, his wife one day had to rush him to the hospital because he was having severe chest pains. He thought he was having a heart attack. When doctors later determined that the problems were brought upon by severe exhaustion, they warned him that continued investigation could jeopardize his health. Yeah. And then that's kind of the end of the story. And um, Danny says after that, he goes, uh, he doesn't look for UFOs anymore, and he'd, he'd rather not see one again. He said if he had his choice, he would have never reported the UFO story. He said it's made too many problems for my life. And then he ends on this, which I just think is profound. Yeah, is he goes, don't look up. Because as soon as you look up and you tell somebody what you saw, your life is changed forever. It's mm. a very poignant quote. Mm. Love that. Ugh, goosebumps yeah, right great. now. Ugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one stood out to me, too, because I, I, I saw it and I was like, wow, like, this is pretty messed up. Like, the UFO sighting, okay, I've seen other segments where they people saw UFOs. It's the whole break-ins in his house, the phone calls, the whole, you know, if they want to get you, they'll leave something on your doorknob to get you sick. You know that type of thing. I mean, that's that was very disturbing, unnerving, and and, and horrifying. Even more so than you know the UFOs. Themselves. The government, the government were the real boogeymen in this segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this one is just. I mean, this is government secrecy and government cover ups at its highest level. I mean, you always I hear feel the same way about it wasn't very effective because it was all over unsolved histories. So. <laughs> well right you know well thankfully we live in a country to where like you can't you can't just tell so even if it is like i mean look at the edward snowden you know the WikiLeaks yeah. stuff i mean we live in a country to where the government might have tried to do someone some mysteries but nbc the producers like no you're gonna have to sue us we don't care like right i mean it's, it's one of those things like if you do fuck up if you do you know have a proverbial nip slip uh, it, it does get shown. It does get brought to light, to, uh, e even for things like this. Now, um, there are also unsolved mysteries. is a pretty popular show at the time, and there was, I mean, they're in the public eye. So I think that's the thing. If there was any sort of mysterious circumstances that befell anybody working on the show, and you found out that a certain segment didn't air, then that would just raise suspicion. And so I think the government would be like, you know, well, damn it, Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 did it again. Like, we can't do anything because it would be obvious that we're, we're involved. Uh, I guess they can air the story and people, I guess, are just going to have to make their own minds. Um, we would rather it not be aired, but damn it. <laughs> well, so, see, uh, the government, it, okay, it's, I look at it like this. It's like... They're probably they're town person. If you're just like some you know nobody, I think they're more more than willing to silence you because 
Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, this guy was a radio DJ. That's why they're saying your, your, you know, your voice is too loud for us to just quiet you by killing you. But I mean, the thing is, like, the government was probably not happy that this segment aired. But, but ultimately, what you are left with uh, on an empirical level is a bunch of eyewitnesses, um, some photos of what could be uh, fraud, could be faked. Yeah, and it's all circumstantial to a certain degree so you know i think that they can pass it off as saying this is entertainment television and not this is an expose breaking open the the government secrecy of you that's definitely what they would do they would just say oh it's there's not enough there to really say anything but that's the kind of thing that they've always done when it comes to responding to this kind of stuff yeah, and I mean, it's not like UFO reports uh, have fallen short from making it onto the the nightly news, you know, as far as locally and stuff. Because I, I've I've heard uh, various news stories around the country all through growing up. Anytime there's a weird light in the sky or whatever, uh, it, it will uh, usually get reported on the new on the local news if there's Roswell enough sightings. Roswell was on the front page, so. right? And then it was covered up. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, it it you know, we do have a free press to a certain degree here still so i mean it's not like it's uh you know a cute a cuban dictatorship or something like that to where or chinese dictatorship where uh information is is silenced and and i mean to to a certain degree yes it is but but not as much as other countries um but yet not as free as belgium (laughs) yeah apparently (laughs) yeah because uh they they were more than cooperative in their ufo cases which is a few episodes back if you want to check that one out but uh yeah, so uh, I, I love that segment, uh, one I've been wanting to talk segment. about for a while. Uh, next, we're getting into one that Mike chose, which would be uh, the Tunnel Robbers. Yeah, I chose this one because it was just very, it was such an amazing spectacle. Um, the the investigator, who has a pretty interesting last name, Pagan Cop, who uh, sounds like a horrible shot in Shidio horror film. Uh, it was, he's the devil, <laughs> you know, pagan cop. And he's you know, a cop. I mean, he's an Satan, investigator, but... Satan's, Satan's cop or something. Uh, but, yeah, he he even said it was awesome, which I thought was a very poor choice of words on his yeah, part. Yeah, I, 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 I got that out. He said the robbery was awesome, but, you know, obviously he meant awesome as in, in you know, like something of an incredible feat, and that could have negative connotations I, too. I know but it was just i heard him say awesome and i'm just thinking of bill and ted you're like excellent <laughs> <laughs> um yes the robbery was quite radical and tubular <laughs> might i add but uh anyway it, it really was because it was ingenious these thieves were very ingenious uh in the june in june of 1986 a team of ingenious thieves tunneled from the storm drainage system and into a hollywood bank using a number of tools to tunnel their way into the bank vault in the middle of the night. The following morning, when bank employees came to work, they were shocked to see a hole in the bank vault and over $2 million stolen. And this robbery was the biggest in Hollywood history at the time. Later that year, another bank in California was robbed in the same manner, but this time the burglars had activated the alarm and fled before being caught, but not before uh, getting away with $90,000. But that wasn't as much as they could have gotten away with, because there were estimates that they could have gotten away with twenty to ten to twenty million if they weren't stopped by an alarm. 
and people heard motorized noises, which uh, matched the quad runners or four-wheeled all-terrain vehicles, ATVs, which the Roberts used as their getaway vehicles. I just this one always stood out to me because of just how complex it was. They these they built these very good tunnels. They weren't like shoddily made. Like these were professionals. These were professionally made tunnels with diamond, you know, drill bits and things like that. It was a very, it wasn't a hack job. One of, the, one of the bits, one of the drill bits that they showed was the fucking size of a beach volleyball in, yeah. in, in diameter. And it yeah. had these teeth on, on there around the rim and it was called a, a, a core bit. And it, it's yeah. used by construction companies to cut through large portions of concrete. And yeah. they had to purchase this. They had to. You, uh, the average citizen cannot purchase stuff like this. They had to make up a bogus construction company name, and they were able to purchase this. And they bought it with cash. Um, yeah. and, and just down to like, you know, the the highway of tunnels that uh, run yeah. underneath L.A. The the storm drain tunnels. You know, um, you know that b- driving a damn quad runner aka a four-wheeler down down these yeah. storm drains you know having to carry um their their excavation equipment which uh the the drill press for this drill bit weighed in excess of 100 pounds so they needed yeah, they didn't leave any footprints or or anything behind like the police were saying when they were identifying looking around in, in the storm drains at first they found nothing the police are like we didn't find anything so you know we ain't found shit this is almost like uh, Coral Castle level like ingenuity, like like yeah. doing a lot with a very little. Because I mean, who would think? Okay, because everyone thinks like you know, oh, you break into the bank, wear a mask, and you go in through the front door. Well, well, just like the Alcatraz escape, no one ever thinks. Well, they're gonna come in through the back door, which the proverbial back door in this case yeah, is underground. The vault, and they went right into the vault. Yeah, and, and the vault, which, you know, just to add some uh, gravity to this situation, uh, 18 inches of thick steel reinforced concrete floor. So, uh, you know, you're, you're just sitting with your buddy. Me and Mike are hanging out sometime, you know, and we're like, man, I'm so bored. I'm poor. I'm broke. Let's rob a bank. And Mike's like, no, there's no way we can get get away with that. You know, there's armed ro- you know armed guards and all that. Oh no, man! Let's 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 security let's, cameras. Let's yeah, find a storm that. drain. Let's just go find a storm drain and like a, a wall in the storm drain. Let's uh, I don't know. Let's plan out where the bank's gonna be and let's just fucking drill a hole underneath it. You know, just fuck it. Let's just live a little. And oh, okay. Let's 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 uh, let's go and do that. It's like no, you can't just do that. You you gotta like. Like you gotta know life. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta like fucking <laughs> you gotta know some people. You know, you have to have some plans to do that. Like that's instead of going to college, you're going to crook school or con college to uh to learn this kind of shit. I mean, this is some uh some ingenious kind of uh stuff here. You know, boring from underneath. And then the, the hole they show in the in the uh, segment. I mean, I know it's it, a lot of this stuff is based off of uh, re- and they actually show pictures like real photographs of the scene. Yeah. Like the hole is just this perfectly drilled hole, and it's just like, good lord, someone really did this. It's nuts. It is. It's insane. So they, the investigators, the cops went into another storm drain not far from the site of the second robbery, and they found one quad runner along with fingerprints. Police identified the fingerprints as belonging to a character, a person named David Spaulding, 
who had no previous criminal record. However, the evidence is insufficient to determine if this was a first-time offender or the quad runner was not part of the robbery and was simply abandoned. I, I think it was obviously part of the robbery. Why would somebody just abandon an ATV in a in in uh, storm drain? Yeah. As no bank robberies have occurred in the above manner since 1986, the authorities believe the burrowing burglars have terminated their criminal careers. Fear of coming close to being caught may have been a factor, but the more plausible explanation is was the failure of the second robbery. Given the tremendous amount of time and effort applied to the robbery, an ill-gotten gain of 90000 was the biggest appointment to the robbers compared to the king's ransom of the first robbery. So, and also they might have just stolen enough money that they were just like, eh, we're good. <laughs> We, we we did what we were we planned on doing. Now they're wise up to us. They know what we're doing. Police are patrolling the storm drains. Uh, you know, I think I think we're good. Yeah. So we then then the police go underground again, and uh, about half a half a mile or a, a mile and a half from the uh, Bank of America that they previously robbed, they found another tunnel that was completely finished, yeah. and. Uh, they went under. Uh, they went into the tunnel, and they found the mounting bits for the drill that were already set up. So this hole was ready to be dug. I mean, it was, or yeah. this 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 bank uh, was ready to be burrowed into, and they and this was uh, underneath the Beverly Hills Bank. Now you yeah, know you're talking you're talking big bank. money yeah. with Beverly Hills. So I think they were saying something like they were saying on the segment something like twenty to thirty million dollars could have yeah, been ten to twenty million. Yeah, yeah, could have been had if they had. Uh, if they had succeeded on that I one. I think that was combining the what they could have gotten with the second robbery and with what they got in the first one and what, what they could have gotten with the with the bank at Beverly Hills. But yeah, it sounds like something you'd hear you'd re, you'd see in a movie. Yeah. It doesn't seem like something that happened in real life. And that's what really stood out to me. It's a very cinematic sort of these genius robbers, you know, gonna stick it to the man and just, you know, come up with this crazy way of, of robbing these banks. Uh, they still haven't been caught to this day. Oh, um, you know, called off a search for the robbers known as the burrowing burglars because as the statutes of limitation for grand theft have run out. That's so weird that, that, that you can like do something like that. And if you, if you wait a, a certain amount of time, you just like can't get charged for that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it was either some people who were in the military or, you know, like they were saying, construction. There was definitely some construction experience. You'd have but to the be. way that it was just such a clean operation, that's what makes me think that these might have been former military uh, uh, guys. You know, that they, they might have been experts in, like, digging tunnels in, in certain other countries you know, for the military. You know, because there was... There were places where you know military uh, personnel had, had had dug tunnels underground. So I, I, I that would be interesting. It, it would be interesting to know if they were like veterans that got fucked over by the government, and they were just like, they're not going to give us that mo enough money <laughs> for our the, our service, you know? So fuck it, we're going to take it from them. I'm not going to lie, man. I think this is like the second segment we've done where we've profiled like bad guys who got away with it. The first one obviously being Alcatraz and uh Yeah. There's I don't know, there's just something there's like a underdog kind of thing cuz like yeah. you know, this one much like Alcatraz, they didn't actually harm anybody. So no. like it, it it there's kind of like this like yeah, go go for it, you know, do it, you know, escape yeah. with the money. Like it's like I'm rooting for him almost. 
Especially, especially in bougie, snobby, stuck-up LA, which I see we actually have a few listeners out there, and uh, it, 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 I, I'm not talking about you guys. You guys are great. I'm talking about the other people. <laughs> but yeah. you know, Los Angeles, you know, where where everything's so goddamn expensive. It's like, yeah, man, fuck you and your prices. I'll just take it. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. I don't think that you know, if we could get away with it, I think there's there's a part in all of us that would be like. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you could get away with it and not get caught. If it's taking from, if it's taking from a big corporation or like a, a corrupt system like the banks, like the banking system yeah. in the United States, I wouldn't feel bad. I would just feel paranoid all the time that I was going to get yeah. caught at any moment. That's why I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it either because of the whole. But that's what I was saying. If if you could do it without. You know, just knowing that you're not going to get caught and you never will get caught, then I think people would do it. And I, I know some people wouldn't because of their, you know, uh, and morals and whatever and so morals. on. Morals? What are those? I, I mean, I probably wouldn't because that's it's just not possible to not get caught. Right. So in real in real life, it's always going to have that fear in the back of your head and. I, I, I'm not smart enough, and I'm not intelligent enough to do it anyway, so I wouldn't even think about it. And I have the but, worst uh, poker face in the world. I cannot, I can't <laughs> lie about shit like that to save my life. The police will come in and be like, did you steal the... I did it! I did it! <laughs> and Mike did it too! We were both... I'd start naming names. I'm the worst. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that one. It's an easy one to talk about real quick. Uh, it's it's uh, very... Uh, memorable case because of the whole four wheelers and underground and going in the storm drains and I, and I love how they actually had the shot scenes in the storm drains and actually had the investigators going around looking in the storm drains and stuff like that. Yet again, so another that, another thing that that uh, separates unsolved mysteries, you know, as a, a show that's truly you know rarefied air, you know. And this was in season one, so yeah. All right. Start. Up next, we're moving on to our final segment, which is one I've been wanting to cover for a while. Someone requested on on a YouTube page. Um, one of my favorite bizarre murders. It's from the uh, Ultimate Collection, and it's called Whistle Blown. It's also in the uh, Bizarre Murders box set. Um, both are very expensive and hard to find. Well, the Bizarre Murders isn't too bad to find on YouTube. No, it is. It oh, is, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, hey, there you go. Better for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> not like I'd ever sell mine anyway. Um. So uh, this is this is actually one I covered when I did my top ten uh, favorite unsolved mystery segments. Um, this is one that I, that I've always just really loved. Um, this is about a man who died while working for a secret uranium facility in uh, Ohio called NLO. Uh, no one knew this at the time, but NLO was owned by the Department of Energy, and they process high grade uranium for use in nuclear weapons. Uh, very clandestine kind of stuff there. Yep. Um, in the fall of 1984, NLO was rocked by scandal when an accident allowed a bunch of radioactive smoke into the atmosphere. A hundred Over time, a hundred tons of radioactive dust had gone into the air and water supply. NLO uh, was, in essence, the third largest nuclear dump in the country. Well, actually, I heard uh, on, on this uh, Unsolved Mysteries site, it says 200 tons, more than 200 tons of Good radioactive Lord. dust particles. Good God a lot of radioactive dust particles i mean just imagine that a car is about two two or two and a half tons yeah 
So, like, what, a uh, hundred more of those cars worth of, uh, yeah, that's, that's enough to give everybody mutant powers in, uh, in Ohio. Um, grow, so women will go grow a third breast. People grow ears. Are you doing some, uh, total, total recall belong. stuff there, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Mike, oh, do you hope yeah, to one day have total recall? Uh, what? Total Recall? No, I don't. I don't really want that future to happen. That's a pretty messed up future for people. So no. <laughs> well, that's what they were trying to make happen. Sounds like anyway. Um. Yeah. So following on the heels of this controversy, there was another controversy, and this was uh, the body of Dave Box, uh, or the murder of Dave Box, or the suicide, whatever you choose to believe. Uh, his body was never found, but his effect, his personal effects were, and he was assumed dead. Um, Box worked at NLO for three years, and by all accounts, he, uh, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Fucking Robert Stack, man. He go, he's like on camera, yeah. and he goes, Dave Box worked for NLO for three years, and by all accounts, he was met with a gruesome and horrible death. <laughs> like... <laughs> Fuck man, Stack, can you just no subtlety? Yeah, no, su no subtlety at all. It's like that. That's that's just classic Robert Stack right there, man. Um, so uh, Dave Box was hired in like what? He just tells it like it is. I love that about. <laughs> he him. tells. It like... Hey, you want you Robert Stack is the last person you want in a hospital waiting room telling you that your dad died. <laughs> Sorry, Josh, your father was gruesomely and painfully killed by the cancerous cells that ate the flesh and the organs in his body, killing vital <laughs> parts of him that kept him alive. There was never any hope for survival. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Stack. <laughs> Jesus, man. <laughs> uh. So, uh, so uh, old Davy Box here, uh, he... He was hired in uh, 1981 as a pipe fitter, and he uh, quickly earned the trust and respect from his fellow employees. Speaking Th of fellow employees, there's this other guy. He, he was a former NLO employee named Harry Easterling. And uh, I like this quote because he says he believes the plant was safe when he was hired. Like he, he says, when I was hired, they said that it was a low-level radiation plant. They told me there was nothing back there that would bother you and just go about uh, your business. Don't tell anybody what you were doing and everything would be fine. I mean, that part right there is like, okay, that's just fishy. That's suspicious. Right. Don't tell anybody what you were doing and everything would be fine. Like, if there, if there was not something shady going on, then I don't think you would tell me that. <laughs> there was no, there's no reason for that kind of discussion unless there's something else going on. And clearly that's the case. Well, I mean, it, it's it's almost like it's almost like these are all blue collar guys, and it's like, well, do you want the job or don't you? You know, just shut your yeah. mouth and do your job, and like, okay, whatever. You know, like, sh sh whatever you say, boss. I, I could, I need the money. I could definitely use the. I need the money for you know the house and the kids. So okay, all right. Yeah, strange uranium processing plant. Whatever you say. So they go into Dave's life before they really dive into this. Uh, in 1979, he was divorced, yet he remained a devoted uh, father to his kids and to his ex-wife. Um, and you know, he was he was uh, he was a good shit from what they're talking about. They said he was great. He would do anything for us, can as can be, 
loved his children and did his job. Right. So June 18th, 1984 began like any other evening for Dave Box. He worked a graveyard shift and he would meet his rideshare partner, Harry Easterly, that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, they would ride together to work, and his uh, primary duties were to inspect and maintain equipment in the plant and make sure everything was functioning properly. Um, on the graveyard shift, only the maintenance crew and security were on duty for the graveyard, gar- yard, graveyard shift, and uh, Box reported to the maintenance room for his nightly duties. Just like any other night, he left his keys in the top of the toolbox, and Dave went to one area and Harry went to the other. At 4.30 a.m., Box and his supervisor were seen in a truck, according to one witness who refused to appear on camera. Uh, The witness said Box seemed to be having a series of discussions but couldn't tell what they were talking about. Oddly, the windows to the truck were rolled up despite it being a hot, humid night. Later, Box was seen walking to Plant 4, not Plant 8, like he was assigned. Uh, Essentially, that was the last time he was seen alive. Uh, Later that morning, Harry uh, became suspicious because he noticed that Dave was absent. Um, There was a meeting and Dave wasn't there. He uh, walked to the maintenance building and saw Dave's keys were still in the top of the toolbox, and he thought he was working overtime. He told the security guard that Dave hadn't come out and that he'd meet him at the restaurant later on uh, that night for the rideshare thing. So, meanwhile, at 7.30 that morning... One of the furnace operators notified his supervisor that there was a sticky film and odd odor in his oven. He said there, uh, that there was a crust over everything. And uh, in the segment, to quote him, he goes, uh, the supervisor's name was Larry. He, the, the worker goes, Larry, listen, man, I don't want to be one who starts a problem, but there's something in there. Kind of looked like a leg. And uh, the supervisor goes with the, the pole and's poking around in the uh, lava, what it, was what it looks like. Um, yeah. And the supervisor apparently didn't find anything and told him to go back to work, which, again, kind of blanket denial there, but whatever. I think uh, he found something, but he just, like, didn't want to panic, cause panic or something. Right. Or, he, or there was an inside sort of job thing going on. Right. Like people say. Because yeah. you would think the know. supervisors of a plant like this are going to be a little bit more informed on what's going on than just the, yeah. you know, the lemmings, the, the sheep as it were, that just kind of have to work there and mindlessly follow orders. Not saying that they're bad people or they're dumb or anything, it's just government secrecy at its finest. You gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, you gotta feed your kids or you gotta feed your family, you know. Gotta pay the bills. And sometimes that means taking jobs that are kind of shady. <laughs> right. So, uh, at 11 that night, Harry arrived at the restaurant to meet up with Dave as usual. Um... It was Box's turn to drive, and his car was already there. So uh, Harry thought that Dave was inside getting something to eat or b- getting something to bring in for lunch. Harry was just leaning up against Dave's car when he noticed the fender was cold. And then he touched the hood, and that was cold, too. Well, at that point, Harry suspected something was wrong. He reported Dave missing, and the security guard pried open Dave's locker, and his clothes were still in there. Um, his fa- Dave's family contacted the plant, and they wouldn't give them any info either. They basically said, yeah, we don't know where he is. We can't find him. Um, inside the plant, the investigation, which I guess an investigation was started at this point. Uh, they never really say that when when the investigation was, dis- was started on the show. Um, I'm assuming it started after he couldn't be found. Um, the investigation was confirming the worst. At 5.15... Uh, AM around the time of Box's appearance and a uh, disappearance, and this is one of the parts I love about this show. Oh, this is the scene that I, I I love from this segment. Um, the temperature in the furnace at Plant Six 
which was kept at a constant 1300 degrees had dipped down 20 degrees and they actually show like the it's like 28 kind of, i think oh 28 yeah okay they actually show like this like circular temperature measuring thing and it's like it had these little lines almost like a lie detector test if that puts in your mind and it shows the dip the little rod just slowly dipping down in temperature yeah. um at this time uh which was something they added in the second what, whoever the director was for the segment that was a yeah. really um that was a really good uh choice to throw it's a great in. way to create a visual representation there you go that's what i was trying and, to say and you know this like this sudden change suggested that something foreign had been dumped into it yeah so then uh, investigators had to wait three days for the molten liquid inside the furnace to cool three fucking days i mean yeah, i guess at 1300 crazy. degrees that you know i guess you would have to yeah. wait that long um then it, it, the employees uh sifted through the material to look for some kind of evidence well they found it they found some melted keys that belonged to Dave's car and three padlocks of his, um, and the conclusion was inescapable. Well, they said the keys didn't melt. The keys weren't melted. They said that's one of the things that was suspicious for them, is that the keys weren't entirely melted. Um, they found I could, the keys belonged to the victim's car. They also found belonged to three padlocks of his. Um, they also, before they shut down the, the furnace, uh, one of the workers found what appeared to be a piece of bone on the lip of the furnace. So they found the keys didn't melt. And then there was other stuff that was found, you know, stuff that. Well, let's yeah. talk about the keys for a second. Yeah. So Harry, his friend was talking about, so let's, let's flash. We'll go back here. Rewind to, mm -hmm. um, the last time Dave was seen, which was around five, four thirty a.m. five ish, five uh, fifteen, whatever. Um, okay, so that was that night that he was last seen. So Harry was talking about, you know, many hours after that, still seeing Dave's keys on top of the toolbox. Yeah, and by the time his body was discovered. It's it's like the keys were still was still on top of the toolbox after the body was discovered. Yet they discovered the keys in the furnace. Uh, it's almost like a, that that was some confusion to me because it's like Harry was basically it sound what it sounded like to me is that whoever did it threw box in the furnace and then the keys were like an afterthought and they're like oh shit we got to get rid of these too. So then they yeah, chuck exactly. then they chuck the keys in there after the fact. And that's why the keys weren't as badly melted as everything else yeah, was. Yeah, because the, the, the furnace was shut down pretty soon after the keys were probably thrown in there. And even so. Harry said he gave the keys to the security guard, and what happened to the keys after that, he doesn't know. Almost suggesting an inside job. But the other stuff that they found, other than the keys, was a steel toe from a boot, part of an eyeglass frame, fragments of Dave's walkie-talkie, and this one, this is the one that really was disturbing to me. A stainless steel wire that was looped together in three oddly connecting circuits, circles. And, of course, pieces of human bone. Uh, almost, and, almost suggesting that he was hogtied. Yeah. And the way that they recreated this is very uh, creepy. They show that maybe he was dipped into the furnace. And the whole thing where the guy says, I hope he wasn't alive... Well, right, oh, yeah. and that, to expound upon what you're talking about there, they had this guy that, uh, I guess, what was he, some uh, investigator or something like that? Yeah. 
He was saying on the night that Dave Box died, he had been working in Plant 8. Now, Plant 8 had released four times the amount of radioactive toxins into the environment than any other plant. He said he felt like Dave knew something about Plant 8. He, he, he thought he was, he was a whistleblower or he was going to be a whistleblower. Yeah. He thought that they either shot him or knocked him out unconscious. Yeah. They took him to Plant 6. And his question was, was he dead by the time they lowered him into the furnace? Because he would, he said, I would hate to think that he was conscious. I couldn't imagine a more hor horrible death than that. And then they yeah, show that. the needle dip down again. Yeah. Yeah, it was an investigative reporter named DC Cole. Uh, but this guy kind of kind of came across kind of conspiracy theory-ish. Yeah, he I did. I don't really know for sure how credible he is. Because he might have been just trying to find, you know, validation for his theories of what happened. But that's a possibility. Um, because it really is just a mystery about what happened. Uh, some of the investigators, uh, the actual police, uh, they think that it might have been suicide. But Dave had, because Dave had a history of psychological problems, and around the time of his divorce, he'd apparently tried to kill himself. But his daughter believes otherwise. She says, I know my father did not commit suicide. He had purchased groceries for the week. He was planning a vacation with my younger brother and me for the following summer to Florida, and he had paid all his bills for the month. There was no reason for him to commit suicide. That being said, sometimes suicide happens like that. They pay everything. It's completely unexpected. You don't see it happening. They seemed happy. And then, you know, but I, why would you choose that way? Though? Right. That's my, big, that's my biggest issue with the whole suicide thing. Yeah. Why... Uh, there's nobody in their right mind that would kill themselves in that manner. That's like jumping into a volcano. Yeah. I mean, certainly it would be a quick death, but Jesus, for those seconds that you're alive, it would have to be like you're in hell. Yeah, I don't think it would be quick right away. Like, I mean, it would be pretty fast, but yeah, no, no. I mean, I think I think all the I think all the sheer the pain uh, that would yeah. would probably knock you unconscious, like the shock. Yeah. But who knows? I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> no one's ever survived something like that, so it's not like we can ask them. No. So obviously, you know, it's like, God, would somebody like like? But but then you think like a murder, like that's that's pretty far fetched too, because. Again, like the only conclusion you'd come to for a motivation would be, you know, he was going to be a whistleblower. Ba and a whistleblower yeah. is basically someone who tattles on a company or a person at a company who's doing something incorrectly and, you know, brings a lot of drama and, and yeah. problems to those people. That's what a whistleblower is. And they thought that perhaps he was going to blow the whistle on the, you know, the, the, the problems that were going on there that they obviously knew about and they're, you know, poisoning the air and the water and all that. And that was not a uh, accident. That was not a, a whoopsie on the government's part. Man, the government this week, geez, they're all yeah. up in this shit. <laughs> yeah. The thing that really stands out to me is the steel wire. Why would that be there? Right. Like, like what's the point for that? And it does, and they were they were tied in circles in a way that you could maybe see tied around somebody's legs and lowered into the uh, furnace. So the fact that that's there that makes me that makes me believe that I don't think it was accidental. I honestly don't. 
that's just my theory. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and they did effectively silence him, but it's not like it did any good because the plant was shut down, you know? So, I mean, it's not like... It's like it's... I don't know. It's, it's, it's That's weird, man. It it's truly is a f unsolved mystery. Of course, it you know it hasn't been solved since. I mean, according it to... It could have been suicide, but I just want the explanation for the steel wire. Right. And, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, you know, t to us, that would be a gruesome way to die, but maybe... And, to and, then, and then the keys. Why were the keys thrown in there after the fact? That's the other thing, too. So as a final bitter footnote to Dave Box, nine years after the fact, his family is still waiting to lay him to rest. In 1989, NLO was shut down. Dave's Dave Box's remains, which are just a few bone fragments, remain sealed in a barrel on the closed plant, too toxic to be buried in the ground. Yeah, I remember Robert Stack's chilling last words in that segment. That definitely did stick with me. Yeah, you know, the whole thing. They're too toxic to be buried in the ground. I mean, think of think of that. I mean, talk about a place that, that that's just asking to be haunted. I mean, this closed, you know, this old, yeah. closed, like, beat down, like, uranium processing facility. And, you know, you break into it as, like, an urban uh, explorer or whatever, and you find a sealed barrel of someone's bones. Yeah. You know, geez, that's like the making of like the next Marvel movie or or or, or Tales from the Crypt or something. I don't know, man. That's I like, wouldn't say Marvel. I would say definitely a horror film. Well, I mean, I'm saying like he becomes, I you know, he gets like some kind of superpower. But I guess if he's just bone fragments, it's kind of hard to be like uranium bone fragment, man. Just just floating around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I I think it's the keys and the steel wire that make me think that that he was. He was murdered because the keys clearly show that they were thrown in after the fact um, before they were able, they weren't fully melted. So unless these are keys made out of super material that doesn't melt and they're 13 degree, three to 1300 degrees of heat. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah, uh, it's it's so definitely a, it's definitely a mystery. Uh, definitely a great uh, segment, not because of what happened to him, but just the you know it's it's very uh, fascinating. There's other segments like this too. There's another one. I'm, I don't remember the name of it, but it was this older guy who worked at a plant, and there was like platinum or something there, and the platinum went missing, and so they're assuming that maybe he was involved with the robbery, but then he, people, his family is like, no, that can't be, and. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting in that one as well. I'd yeah. be interested what to talk about. But yeah, it's a mystery. My theory is he was murdered. Uh, that's just my theory, in my opinion. You can uh, come up with your own conclusion. I think the conclusion is pretty clear on this one. Um, with that being said, um, unfortunately, uh, I have to wrap it up. Uh, I'm I wanted. I don't have anything else to say. So. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to definitely put this out today. I didn't want to keep you guys waiting any longer, but I have to run, go run, and do some karaoke, host a karaoke event at an Applebee's because that is where my life is heading as a 27 year old. Um, but hey, a job's a job. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed listening. Uh, we really appreciate all, all the uh, good reviews and comments and everything. For yeah. some reason on Podbean, we lost like a hundred subscribers. I don't know what happened, if it was some kind of a fluke or whatever, because we had like a hundred and something and now we're down to that like... That sounds a like a... That sounds like a fluke. Yeah, That's it was weird, man. Like, like one like night. A glitch. Yeah, it was some, like a glitch. some kind of glitch, but we're gaining them back though. But uh, yeah, everyone's been... Uh, 
you know, we got another good review on iTunes and all that. So thank you everybody for doing that. We appreciate yeah. it. We love doing this. Um, I, I'm sucks. I'm having to cut it off and not flap my gum some more, but I'm already running it a little late now. So, um, you know, uh, leave us suggestions. Mike's channel on YouTube. If you want some of his movie reviews is, uh, fa- uh youtube.com slash OCP communications. And then my channel, uh, is much more, uh, it's more retro game oriented slash all dude. It's all kinds of shit. I'm trying British food. Uh, yeah. I do a review of the, uh, old unsolved mysteries versus the new one. That's youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts and the number two. And that's how you can, find more from us uh so until next week i am josh cannon this is mike 